You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down in Film Row in Oklahoma City today. And if you're watching the video, you can see a lot of beautiful cars behind us and my guest. Um, Chip Fudge is with me. Uh, absolute pleasure to be in this building, and, and I can't wait to talk cars with you. Uh, but not all about cars, obviously. You know, cars is a huge passion, but about kind of, you know, your your, your business decisions and, and, and just kind of the, the love of Oklahoma City and Oklahoma, I think, in general that you clearly show because you know a lot of people who've been successful think I'm going to go move to the beach right um, but the good thing is you're, but you're based here you're rooted here and that, that's you know clear in, in the actions that you have in your real estate developments and, and I know we've just, just chatted before about you know there's, there's people coming in today that you're hoping to you know strike up a conversation with and bring in people and share Oklahoma City I think to, to the outside world which is you know a great thing to do. Um, some people might think it's not a good thing because they like it the way it is and they don't want anyone coming in from out of state. But no, Oklahoma City has been growing and and, and we're going to talk a lot about that. But thanks so much for having me down. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, looking at just kind of what we have around us, uh, I mean, my James Bond just nerding is nerding out over the Aston that you have over there uh, that's in kind of a great green color and I know green is making a resurgence or has been trying to make a resurgence in the in the stuff but the first time I think I ever saw one of your cars I used to work at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club I think you pulled up in the 350 race car okay the Mustang and yeah. I was just like I heard it coming didn't see it until I think you'd parked up and gone inside and I drove a golf cart over and the steering wheel was hanging from the wing from the mirror and I'm like this is awesome I love this um, and then obviously everyone who knows cars and knows Oklahoma City has seen you know people take pictures of you when you're driving around because they think oh that's Chip um, nobody else we don't know anyone else who would drive a beautiful Ferrari classic car around it's you know most people who have these cars they're in a museum somewhere right but I think the, the the great thing that car guys love is to see you driving the cars that you have and you definitely drive the cars that you have and the race cars obviously you know that there's there's a passion there which which we love to see no doubt um but before we get into the car stuff take us back i mean i know you went to oklahoma state right university uh, born and raised here as well uh born in dallas texas mm-hmm. Uh, at four or five years old, we moved to California. Uh, my parents got divorced, yeah. and my mother came back home to uh, her parents' house in Holdenville, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I was raised uh, primarily by a, a single mother in my early years and, yeah. and a grandmother who loved antiques and loved dragging me to old antique shops and trying to make me appreciate or show me the appreciation between something that was well made and and the the irony is something that was not well made and this would be in the 60s Uh, and so I've I've always had a love of Mm -hmm. history and historical things and uh, I built model cars as a kid and and uh, sort of grew up and and continued that model car obsession only with real cars and now i get to drive them and run around the racetrack when i get the opportunity yeah yeah uh so i guess i mean i'm sure there's some of the things that you think of that you would you would you know the memories from from running around with your grandmother is some of the stuff you probably wish you still had right like all the old stuff that back then we didn't think would be worth something today that was cool today you know probably wasn't that cool back then No, no question about that uh one little story that most people don't know when my grandparents uh, passed away the majority of their stuff was sold at an estate sale Mm -hmm. and at 16 years old my father had set up a credit line for me of two thousand dollars and i went to the estate sale and bought um, as much as i could of my grandparents estate the dining room table still sits in my house today here in oklahoma city a number of other really fine interesting pieces that that were you know part of my childhood uh, growing up, and uh, I think it, it it the old buildings that my my grandparents had and the appreciation for that certainly came from my grandmother and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. They had 
some real estate in uh, Seminole, Oklahoma, Holdenville, Oklahoma, and rent houses. And it just seemed like a natural part of growing up was yeah. you know going to collect rent uh, once a month or going to take care of some maintenance issues on some of the old buildings. And yeah. uh, that, that seemed normal to me growing up. So you're a great example of entrepreneurship from a very young age then? I, I, I think so, primarily from yeah. my grandmother. Uh, I also started uh, throwing newspapers at 10 years old. Before that, mm-hmm. uh, we, my parents didn't have a lot of money and they were starting their own business. And if I wanted to have any money, I had to throw paper out or uh, cut yards or yeah. do landscaping uh, as a child. And you know, as, as a 10-year-old, I would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and throw Sunday newspapers, uh, which you never let a 10-year-old go out and do that now. And then every afternoon, uh, Monday through Saturday, I would throw the Oklahoma City Times newspaper. We were such a progressive community. Mm-hmm. We had a morning newspaper and an afternoon newspaper at the time. And uh, it, it, it taught me a whole lot about, you know, I had to buy my newspaper from the, the Daily o- from the OPUBCO or the Daily Oklahoman. And then I had to throw the newspapers. And then I had to show up at the end of the month and collect the money. And sometimes people had moved. Sometimes people wouldn't pay me. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it taught me. That taught me a whole lot about you know how to make a living and yeah um, I guess I started at a, at a young age doing that yeah and then like I said it progresses into just buying and selling anything that you can get your hands on and like I said you start rebuilding you know multis or whatever it is you know you get into flipping things right and then yes. gets you know it just kind of grows and snowballs from there my my best friend in high school and I he found this car which was a 1957 Chevrolet that had a hole about the size of a bowling ball in the side of it from rust and we paid $75 for the car I put up the money, he got it running we sold it for $250 and we thought we had slaughtered a fat hog, it was the greatest thing in the, in the whole wide world right. you fast, fast forward to about 5 years ago mm-hmm. and uh, I had purchased a, a 1971 Lamborghini paid $350,000 for it and it was not for sale and I was approached by an auction company to sell it, and they, I said, not for sale. And they said, well, there has to be a number. And I said, okay, a million two. Um, and just to think that once in my life I could sell a car for over a million dollars was just yeah. flabbergasted. It mm-hmm. flabbergasted me. I just couldn't believe it. And we ended up um, we ended up getting a million one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the car. I dropped my reserve a bit. and. I think my buddy and I, the same guy that, that uh, we bought the $75 Chevy for, we were just as happy to, for, to sell the million-dollar car as we yeah, were the, yeah. the uh, $75 car. Oh, I can't imagine how that guy feels that you bought it from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the last five years, like, cars have gone nuts. and like, The prices of things have just gone through the roof, and not just, you know, the special cars, like your everyday you know, I mean, the Tahoe is like a hundred grand now. Oh, they, right? they like, have. It's and, crazy. You know, but I, you know, I, 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 I tell people that I would starve to death if I had to make my living in the car business. Mm-hmm. I, I've been, I, I, I buy cars and drive cars because I appreciate their beauty. They, I, I think they're all works of art. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more odd, uh, the better. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, if I get any extra money, I, I typically will buy a new car or a new motorcycle just because I, that's where my passion is, where my heart is. Uh, but th- without ever having any intention of of, um, of making money on them. Yeah. So back to back to kind of earlier, you go to Oklahoma State. What do you go to Oklahoma State for? And in that time, were you thinking was there a, was there a time or an opportunity that you didn't really have to go to university, but you went anyway? Well, there certainly was. Uh, if you back up before college, yeah, uh, I dropped out of Putnam City High School the middle of my junior year, so I'm I'm a high school dropout. Okay, I go off to the army, uh, signed up in Uncle Sam's all volunteer army. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months in, uh, they at the time they would guarantee your field of training and your uh, and your placement, and okay. I had selected to be. A field radio mechanic, which is I, I'm technologically illiterate, which was silly as hell for me to do, and then they were going to ship me to Germany, where my brother was stationed. And I right. thought that was fun, 
So a couple of months before that, they came and said, well, we can't send you to Germany. We've got too many radio mechanics there. You can go to Japan or Alaska, or uh, you can get out of the Army. I said, okay, I'll get out of the Army. <laughs> I, I took my GED yeah. and started Oklahoma State with my uh, all my friends in my graduating class. Mm-hmm. I just took a, a little year and a half yeah. uh, detour before I, I mm-hmm. showed up at college. Uh, I got a degree in political science. Uh, and oh, actually, I changed that to pre-law so I could have uh, uh, more philosophy classes. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with a minor in philosophy. I am not qualified to do anything in the business world. Uh, I find history uh, my I find history fascinating, and my yeah. goal was to go off to uh, law school. Mm-hmm. And and I come from a, a long line of lawyers: my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle. Uh, my cousins, my brother, uh, everybody was smart enough to get a law degree except me. And uh, I, my parents sent me to, to Europe after college. And I came back and, and uh, was accepted at OC Law School and decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I went to work yeah. for my father in his collection business. Wow. And yeah. I mean, think, looking back, think of all the things that, I mean, Think of obviously the car collection you could have if you did go to Japan and all the JDM stuff you might have instead of all the <laughs> yeah. stuff you have behind you now. True. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of days, you, know, you go to Datsun over there, but it could be a lot different, couldn't it? Oh, that's great. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I could have ended up uh, 20, in years, 20 years in the service yeah. or in Alaska. Yeah. Uh, Alaska would have been fun. I love to fly fish. Uh, but out of just pure luck... A, a bit of tenacity and mm-hmm. and folks that have have helped me along the way. We've we've had a yeah. a heck of a run uh, of good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just shocks me. I, I swore that I would never have more than ten employees. Yeah. We've got somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred, three and a quarter, and um, that's not a big deal until it's time to make payroll every month. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it honestly it, it it just shocks me. We've had the the kind of kind of good fortune that we've had, and I think we happen to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, Oklahoma City is such a easy, wonderful place uh, to live, mm-hmm. and I think three events occurred in in my lifetime that were pivotal pivotal to the growth of this city. Mm-hmm. Um, one being the oil boom going bust uh, in '82. Uh, the other was the May 3rd tornado that devastated mm-hmm. our community. And the the final was uh, the Murrah building bombing. And um, all of those things together, I believe, put us in a point where we realized that nobody was going to come to our rescue. Mm-hmm. We, as the folks that lived here, uh, civic leader, business leaders, politicians, felt like we had to come together to mm-hmm. make our city better. And I believe the catalyst of those three tragic events uh, helped bring us together in a, in a very apolitical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business community and the local government uh, community, we, we want to do work together and make things better. Mm-hmm. In the last 20 years, we've sort of started to drift away from that now. We're starting to become more polarized yeah. like the rest of the country, but um, out of uh, adversity uh, comes opportunity, and I think you know, I wasn't smart enough to leave town like everybody else was. We figured out we had to stay here and, and attempt to make a go of it. And so yeah. many uh, like-minded people have and have done really, really well with that. Yeah, and and kind of been rewarded by, you know, their their loyalty, I guess, to living in Oklahoma City, right? Yes. And they're kind of just like, we want to make this is our home. We're going to make it better and we're going to do whatever we can to make it better. Rather than, like you said, jumping ship and going... Houston, Dallas, wherever, or, you know, LA, wherever, wherever the jobs are and the money is. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, 10, 20, 30, even more people that have done that and come back and have families here now. Yeah. You yeah. Know? My biggest fear, I'd gotten divorced, uh, early on in the starting of our business. My biggest fear was that my then ex-wife would take my child and, and mm-hmm. leave. And that, what followed that was, uh, we're going to build We need to build a community that where these children want to stay uh, and thrive and can stay and thrive. And we, I, I think we've been suc- very successful in that regard. Yeah. Not only do our kids want to stay and thrive, but so many kids want to come back uh, of my children's mm-hmm. generation. And that, that makes me very proud. Um, I, I credit Leadership Oklahoma City, 
uh, the Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. uh, so many people that that and groups that came together to try to make this place a, a better place. And, yeah. And we are all of us now are seeing some of the fruits of that labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing. It's uh, I love you know everyone I tell that I'm friends with back from back home. I say you got to come see me in Oklahoma City. Like you have a free hotel, you can stay at the house. Um, but you've got to, you know, and they're like, well, why? I'm like, well, you'll figure it out when you get here. Just trust me, <laughs> you know. And every time they get here, they're like, wow, I had no idea because most people don't. Yeah. Um, but travel Oklahoma and, and visit OKC and you know leisure Oklahoma City, and they're doing a great job of. of you know, promoting not just Oklahoma City, but the state in general. Um, but with, you mentioned your own your own business, so you went to work for Dad at the yep. collection, collection stuff. Yes. How long were you there before you decided to go out on your own? Well, so I, I went to work there uh, in between part of my stint of mm-hmm. dropping out of high school and going to college, along with the Army. Uh, my uh, parents had pretty much retired, and I was running the business when I was 27, 28 years old. And uh, my parents had gone off to South Padre Island and were, were living down there, and I was running the business. And uh, we had oil boom gone bust, and you know things were things were a, a, a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And my parents and I had a had a bit of a falling out. I left and started my own company. Uh, Four, four or five years later, I ended up uh, buying their company out and um, took that. And we still have that company today, as a matter of fact, a small collection agency, you know, 25, 35 employees. Uh, but it's been in business since 1967 and, and still does quite well. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm ADD, so I ramble a bunch. So oh, yeah, tell we, me what the question was. I mean, we've got we'll time. Start over. Yeah, I mean, just kind of the process of, of so, so, so your parents retire, you buy them out. You know, eventually, kind of, you own the business, and then you're 27, 28, 29 years old with multiple businesses at the time, right? You have no. the collections AG, and then you you start your own. Actually, we had our we had our our claims business, which okay. I had started, and then I bought the collection agency gotcha. back from my parents. Uh, but during that time, uh, you know late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s, uh, real estate was still very, very inexpensive and yeah. uh, because roughly you know, after the oil boom went bust, 35 to 40% of the people left yeah. or walked away from their homes because they were they right. were upside down. And we started buying small rent houses and, and then apartment houses over in Jefferson Park and mm-hmm. historic homes in Crestwood, uh, that type of stuff. And We'd buy as many as we could and try to get them rented, or mm-hmm. sometimes we'd flip them. And when the, when the the yeah. amount of debt felt like it was too much, I had to sell a few to try to you know make up for for uh, some things. And we uh, and I'll never forget. I, I paid fifteen thousand dollars for a house over in Crestwood, you know, and then I sold it for fifty five thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars about five years later, and thought I just killed it. And then a few years ago, it sold for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't smart enough to hold on to all of these things, right. but also didn't have the cash flow and the liberty to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a buddy named Mike Dillard, and I. I, I say this all the time he says you never go broke making a little profit and so if i can make a little money i'll, I'll do that and and go on down the road and the, the smarter money might have yeah, uh, yeah, held yeah. on but uh i'm i'm yeah because i saw so many of the best and the brightest and the wealthiest in this community go broke during the oil boom when it went broke i've always been incredibly conservative from my debt to equity ratio mm-hmm. I, it just and I, I i think it served me well i probably could have you know, right. if I, if I'd have, I also admire people like Aubrey McClendon who had the, the guts to risk it all uh, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And I, I'm just not made that way. Uh, probably could, if we if things would have fallen right, we could have been a lot more successful. But right. I, um, I'm not starving to death and not missing any meals. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy where we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what led to, I guess, starting the, cl- the, the claims? Not, it was claims, right? Insurance? It was claims business. Okay, so what, what, what led to starting that? I had a good friend. or, or uh, We did work for Southwestern Bell mm-hmm. for their uh, billing and residential service collection work. And they were really happy with us. And... Yeah. The man that ran the claims organization for uh, Southwestern Bell uh, was referred to us by the business office and mm-hmm. said, this, this group does, does a good job. You got to go talk to him. And 
this was right at divestiture. The phone companies were being divided up. Uh, mm-hmm. They were not able to uh, go to the uh, Corporation Commission and just get a rate increase. They they had to become more of a, a, a private organization than a public organization. Um, and Harry Robertson came to me and said, you know, we've got this book of business that we, if we hire uh, outside attorneys, they charge us on an hourly basis and cost too much money for them to do that. And if we, our in-house people aren't interested in this, and we thought perhaps a collection agency type format might work. And we devoted two or three different employees to the process, learned about what uh, creates liability when people are digging and damaging underground cables. Yeah. And, um, I'm not real clever, but I would look at what a, a hospital bill would generate on our collection agency side from a revenue standpoint. And I looked yeah. at what the telecom revenue was generating. And, you know, collecting money from insurance companies is a whole lot easier than collecting money from people that don't have any money. You know, it just seems like rocket science almost, but it, yeah. it not really. And so I said, I want more of that. And uh, we built a program uh, over the next year with Southwestern Bell and ended up with Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, most of the Southwestern Bell Territory. And then our big break came uh, when AT&T wanted to take a look at us. Mm -hmm. And I piled my whole family into the car, drove to Denver. That's where their claims office was. We were going to go on vacation, and I was going to go knock on their door and have a visit with them. And after that meeting, with all my kids and wife sitting in the car, he said, we'll give you a try. And they gave us a try. And within a year, we had a national contract with AT&T. Amazing. AT&T introduced us to GTE, which was the forerunner for Verizon. Mm-hmm. Um, within another six to nine months, uh, uh, GTE came on board. They were going to initially give us 25% of the country. Mm-hmm. We said, yeah, that would be great. We'd be happy to start in Florida and work on that. Yeah. He called me back and said, oh, got a little problem. They, I've got to cut more people, and can you take the whole country? And I said, sure. And I had 25 employees at the time, and there's no way in hell we could handle that business. But <laughs> I recognized an opportunity, and, and it was all hands on deck, and, right. and uh, we ended up swallowing the, the whole country for GTE. So we had GTE, AT&T, Southwestern Bell, and that was sort of the, yeah. the start of where we were going. At one point in the telecom world, we had we estimated that we had a 42% market share of the U.S. Wow. nationally with uh, Bell South and U.S. West and AT&T and yeah. some of the other people. And that's, that's effectively how we built our business. God, it's amazing. Yeah. Right. And I'm as amazed as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but it, there's a lot. I mean— the thing that that's reoccurring from when I sit down with with successful business men and women on this podcast is impeccable timing, hard work, and a little bit of luck. But you've got to have the other. You've got to have the hard work. You can't. You know. You just like the the triangle, right? You can't do it all. You've got to have. Sorry, you can't do one without the other. You've got to have that hard work because uh, you know you you had to be in a position to take that opportunity, right? And yep. without the hard work of getting there, you wouldn't have been in that position. Um, and and you know, to have amazing. the cash to do so. Right. We, you know, we had a little bit of cash to, to, to throw yeah. at, you know, our, our growth and the banks you know, starting to loan us some money yeah. as the numbers looked right. I I tell people that, well, you know, how do you get so successful? Well, if you're, if you're independently employed, mm-hmm. you work for yourself, you work 24-7. Every waking moment, you are trying to figure out how you're going to improve what mm-hmm. you've got. And the other thing that I, I share with folks is you have to have a sense of urgency on every single thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if you have those two things, that you're willing to accept the working all the time and you have a sense of urgency, this country, this state, great opportunity we, yeah. with our rule of law, our, our relatively low tax uh, situation, it, you can the sky's the limit in my opinion yeah. you know poor boy paper boy high school dropout you know we yeah now with you know million dollar a month payroll it it uh it's it's still possible in, in this country in this state right. Yeah, it's, I mean, from from my perspective, from an immigrant's perspective, the American dream is still real, 
right? A lot of people, you know, don't think that. And I'm like, well, no, I will tell you until like I lose my voice that it's real because I, I believe in it and I, I'm part of that. Like it's, you ask any immigrant, they'll tell you the same thing. It's, but it's not just immig- immigrants as well. I think immigrants probably see the value in it because they, they know what's in their home country, right? But, you know, like so if you grew up, grew up here, you know, you, you know, worked very hard from a young age and saw, you know, that kind of opportunity and like I said we're you know we're not stopping anytime soon right we you know you got meetings today you're still moving like you <laughs> yeah. know right? I'm, I'm still old, things I'm you want to do yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's still things you want to do and then you know if you're anything like me and you know golf's one of my big passions you know for me it's like where can I go play golf for you it's probably like where can I go race next right <laughs> what, what you know where can we put the car on a, on a, on a plane or on a truck and go somewhere and race it uh, which I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit but so the business kicks off you know you know you kind of like you, you've kind of found you know, I guess you're, you're, you've got so much, you know, things to focus on with, with the growth of the business at that time, you know, and, and you're getting employees in, you know, just to help run things. So it sounds like the real estate side of things was just kind of, it was a smart hobby to do, right? Jenna, you know, from, from listening to your story, your background, your grandparents having rentals, and it was something that you're familiar with. It's a great investment. It also sounds like you really enjoyed it too, I, I, right? I, I do really enjoy it, but there is there was a huge method to my madness mm-hmm. when uh, Automobile Alley was first coming online. Uh, the Auto Alley board, and the Salyers, and um, oh gosh, uh, the Pref takes and um, oh, just you know so many people. My my architect friend Rand Elliott, and they they brought together and figured out the business model of, you know, getting the properties listed on the historic register and sharing how you go about getting state and federal tax credits for the restoration of property. And at, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, they created a model where you put a million dollars in a building, you get a 20% tax credit from the state, mm-hmm. 20% tax credit from the feds and if you donate the facade of the building uh, so that it stays that way for the rest of its life uh, you get a 10 to 13 percent deduction so you're on a million dollars worth of investment in the right building you could come up with a half million dollars worth of uh, tax credits which which uh, is a huge driver. Yeah. And for, for us, our, our core business was making money. And so it, it seemed to go hand in glove or hand in hand to be able to uh, make money in the claims business and offset that mm-hmm. and build a real estate portfolio with the tax credits. Yeah. And I, there are so many great opportunities out there. Um, the opportunity zones, state and federal tax credits, so many things that if um, you know most people that are in the real estate business have to take the tax credits and sell them so that they can fund the more expensive costs of, of restoring a historic building and if we're in our world uh, we needed we didn't sell anything because mm-hmm. we needed to offset the income and so yeah. to me they they seem to go uh, very much hand in hand mm-hmm. and I just kind of you know, and listening to you talk, just the passion that you have as well for just, you know, your way you live and your home and wanting to improve that, you know, for future generations, that then takes, you know, you're not just buying rent houses and, and buildings just to turn a profit. That's kind of a byproduct, obviously, you know, and, and, and it helps progress and buy the next one. But, you know, it's more about kind of how can we make this better? Who can we, what tenant can we get in here that's not just going to, you know, ruin a local small business, but it's actually going to be a restaurant or it's going to be, you know, like there's, and another thing, like, you know, your, your your involvement in Film Row, obviously where we're sat today, you know, I'm sure Film Row back in the day was, I mean, the story you told about this building, it was falling apart, right? You know, like it, this was one of many buildings down here in this area, which now, you know, Film Row is, is a destination for people to come and hang out and whether it's going to, you know, have a, have a beer or whatever it is, you know, there's, there's plenty of business going on down here. There, there, there certainly so, is. Why, uh, why, I guess, did you choose to, to focus on Film Row in, as well as, obviously, Automobile Alley, but Film Row uh, seems to be the most recent one? There, there, there are so many things I want to say in, in response. So uh, people come to me with business deals all the time, and some of them are brilliant. They yeah. do mini storages. You can do this brand-new tip-up building. I, I could give a shit about yeah. restoring or putting together uh, a new building to make money. I, I, I've 
If I really want to make money, make the most money possible, I would focus what we do across the street of the claims business. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoy saving and restoring old buildings, and that's wow. sort of my passion in saving and restoring old cars. Yeah. Uh, on Film Row, David Wanzer, uh, now a very successful developer, at one time was an architect right out of, out of school, came to me with his vision that he wanted to buy the film exchange building down the street and turn it into condos. And within a couple of months of that, my friend Pat Gallagher, Doug Parr, came to me and said, there's this really cool strip of, of buildings over here on Sheridan you need to go take a look at. And when both of them came together and I started looking at at what the history of this area was, mm -hmm. it was one of only two surviving film exchange districts in the U.S., the other being in Kansas City. Really? Uh, I had sold the Cameron building over on Classen and had a little 1031 money from the profits that mm -hmm. we'd made on it. And so I jumped off and, and uh, started buying property along here. And David Wanzer was our architect, and he walked us through all the, the tax credit programs. And uh, you know, David and his pivot group, those guys have just killed it here in town, buying old properties and, and, yeah. and doing that. Uh, but we started in the uh, 500 block of Sheridan, mm -hmm. and there were a ton of homeless people down here. We, uh, we bought the Film Exchange building, finally got that deal bought, mm -hmm. bought buildings. I've only been able to acquire property on the south side of Sheridan. I've tried my dead level best to buy property on the north side. Yeah. But we owned almost every piece of property between the 500 block and the 800 block of Sheridan on the south side. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rambling and babbling and on and on, but, uh, you know, we had some interesting uh, times down here. We, you know, had no idea what it was going to be like mm -hmm. uh, dealing with the homeless uh, population. And the mayor asked me to be on the, Mick Cornette asked me to be on the homeless task force. And so I, I got to learn and know a little bit about that because it was, it was Tom Jones across the street at the homeless shelter and, and me and, and just a few other smattering businesses that yeah. were still down here. Jeff McKenzie uh, had the t-shirt shop was, the Lone Ranger all by himself and everything else was boarded up and, and shut down. And uh, we just started buying these properties because I thought they were so unbelievably cool. And we would remodel one at the end of the street and we'd work our way down here toward the, the Hart building and then these properties. And what we learned is that every time we would finish a building uh, and get tenants moved into it, the homeless would, would sort of move farther to the west. Mm -hmm. And there, that happened all the way until we, we effectively did the Hart Building and the, then these two buildings, yeah. and they were right across the street. And I, 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 I'm not making any uh, characteristics or casting any aspersions mm -hmm. toward the homeless, but they didn't seem to want to be around an area that was being um, where people were were living and it was being right. regentrified. You know, we, there were some some tough times. One of the uh, scariest part is my realtor took me across the street to a, an, a what I will call a currently unnamed building that has been completely put back together. Yeah. And rumor had it was that it was a brothel and a massage parlor. And my realtor and I walked in. There wasn't supposed to be anybody in there. Mm -hmm. Very dark, lots of little cubby holes with massage tables on it. We walked to the uh, back of the building and was with my realtor and good friend Jane O'Toole at the time. And we walk in this back room and there's a wall full of eight to 10 inch monitors with cameras showing every single room. A guy jumps up out of bed, grabs his gun, and holds his gun on us. And, you know, that, that was an interesting thing. And, and, you know, we both backed up and said, we were supposed to be here. We thought the place was vacant. Yeah. You know, we, we weren't criminals or homeless breaking in. And um, uh, long story short, I didn't get the building. Uh, a funny aside is when I went home that evening, I said, honey, I tried to buy a brothel today and almost got shot. <laughs> yeah, the conversation over dinner is a little different, isn't it? Yeah. What did you do at work today, honey? Well, yeah, I almost died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, those are just some of the, the fun experiences right. we've had down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
No, but it's it, this district in this area. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's still growing. You know, I'm sure it looks a lot better now than what it did today. And funny fact for you, the first ever podcast episode I ever did was in Desmond Mason's loft across the street. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah. First so, first one I ever did. And so that was my building. Okay. Uh, uh, before I sold it to Meg Salyer, yeah. and then Meg uh, leased it to Desmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was, yeah it was, that was four years ago. It was crazy. Um, yeah. Did, did mean, you go out on the back patio of Desmond's place? No. Did I go? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, Because we what, went, we recorded what, in the loft up top, and, and then the, we and, looked out. And the was the awning on top? Not yet. I okay. don't think so. So, and they may have taken it down at the time, but... Uh, in the in the seventies, they put an mm-hmm. aluminum awning on the front of that building. The building yeah. is a lovely blue and gray stucco on the front, mm-hmm. and we took off the awning off the front and yeah. mounted it as a cover over back the back patio. patio on top of the yeah. behind the, the Which apartment. Which is a better place to put it. Yeah, <laughs> we thought so too. Yeah, uh, we. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're sat in a garage full of full of amazing cars. Where does the passion for cars start for you? I mean, I say start. It starts early on, obviously. But, like, where is there a moment? Is there a car that you see? Like, is there a poster on the wall? Kind of like, you know, the, the Kuntash that most people talk about? Or? I, I remember as a four or five-year-old, my mm-hmm. real father, for Christmas, uh, bringing home a, an electronic car. Mm-hmm. And we sort of put it together. It was probably uh, about two feet long. And I got to drive it around with the, you know, full wire, no Bluetooth back in the day. Yeah. And that, that's my earliest memory of a car. My father was a photographer, and so he would go and photograph street races and Grand Prix and okay. Dallas-Fort Worth. Yeah. And he would drag me around to these things, and yeah. I can only imagine the type of cars that I, I saw. Uh, I don't even, you know, I have no recollection, but I'm sure mm-hmm. Maseratis and Ferraris and all of the sports cars of the 60s that are yeah. Great so unbelievably... Sound in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, just incredible. So I, you know... Boy, I always loved playing with cars, uh, building model cars. Mm-hmm. All of that sort of came together. It, I said earlier I was a paper boy, and when my parents yeah. moved out far northwest Oklahoma City, uh, my brother and I bought a $350 Honda motorcycle yeah. so that we could throw our papers on. I wasn't old enough to drive it, so he would drive it, and I would sit on back and throw the newspapers, and that's yeah. how we made our money. And then six months later, I was 14, I could have my own motorcycle, and mm-hmm. we'd saved up enough money we traded in the honda and bought two kawasaki's and so i since i was 13 and a half i have always had a motorcycle at least one right and the motorcycles just sort of progressed into car things and you know we didn't have um you know cell phones or internet and yeah for us the 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 car meant freedom you know chasing girls and 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 that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and and I, i think it's still uh, gives me that kind of feeling, the the freedom and yeah. ability to, you know, to, to go. And I, I just I love cars. Yeah. I, just um, yeah. Well, what was that when you know when you when you start earning money? You know, you you have your own business. You know, you're you're starting to climb that ladder, right? You know, you're getting to a point where. Um, you know, business is growing. You're having a great time. You can afford to spend money on things you probably never thought you could spend. In, you know, growing up, what was that first big purchase? Oh gosh! In, in the car, in, you know, related in, to cars. In, in the car world. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times uh, when we were building our business, I would, uh, and before I would buy MG MGBs, mm-hmm. uh, pay a thousand dollars for them, clean them up, yeah. get them running, sell them for twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars. We started our business. I think I sold three MGs to help fund uh, the start of our business. Uh, the first, I think, important, expensive car I bought was a, a 1975 Porsche 911, and I paid $4,500 for it. And that was, that was a whole bunch of money in, I guess, yeah. 1988, uh, 89, because we just started the business and, and yeah. started making a little bit of money. And uh, so I, I bought that. and. It you know it sort of progressed and that your your taste changed a little bit. I had a lot of uh, American Iron you mm-hmm. know Camaros and Mustangs and uh, Pontiac Trans Ams uh, in in the early part of the collection, yeah. and then they've sort of morphed into now you know Ferraris and Aston Martins and right. um, you know more uh, exotic and yeah uh, and other cars. I in in between there I had a pretty good sized motorcycle collection about 30 35 40 motorcycles 
uh, and I, they've sort of dwindled through the years. I sold a half a dozen last month in um, uh, Las Vegas. Uh, I'm down to four or five at this point, I think, uh, because I've, I've just spent more time in the cars these right. days than I am the motorcycles. But show your wife and uh, you know, appreciate your family appreciate you going out in the cars more than the bikes now as well, right? <laughs> right? With as many people that are texting and driving on the road, it's it's much better to go out in a car than it is in a bike. I, I know it is. Uh, COVID was horrible though. I bought four or five motorcycles <laughs> during COVID uh, and have not driven any of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I keep thinking someday I will. I have a really good friend uh, named Mark Dillon who owns mm. that 1936 Indian there. Yeah. And one of the, uh, that's, that, that's not my motorcycle, but I've got yeah. a 1929 Excelsior Henderson, which is a very rare motorcycle across the way. And I told him I'd sold all the other bikes. And he said, you didn't sell the Henderson, did you? And I said, no. And he said, he's moving back here someday soon. And, yeah. and he said, we have a pact. We're going to get both those running and ride around just like we used to when we were in our uh, 30s. That's so, awesome. So that's our goal. Yeah. When does, I guess, do you just kind of get bored of driving on the road and think, you know what, I'm going to go to a racetrack? No. No? I, like, where does the I, racing come in? I, I had, had a friend that had done a race in Mexico. Yeah. And he said, Chip, you like cars. You know, you, I've got a car for you, 25000 bucks. You can buy this this car and yeah. take it down to Mexico, and we'll run, a, we'll run this race. It's yeah. great fun. Showed me a film that Pink Floyd had done about the race, and I thought, this is great. Sold. Or, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drive cars around Mexico. We're going to yeah. have margaritas at night. And, you know, this is going to be just yeah, great fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I got down there, and I realized that these are real race car drivers, and these are real race cars, <laughs> and I'm going to die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there were Ferrari uh, cars, or Ferrari team with mm-hmm. a half a dozen mechanics. Mercedes sent three of their, you know, their cars over with 25, you know, support personnel. And I've got a Suburban with a trailer with a broken down 54 <laughs> Corvette on the back of it. And we had a really good time. Uh, car caught on fire the first day and uh, I, we didn't burn up or die. Yeah. Um, I, I, we finished the race, which was a, a feat in itself. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I really like this. And the next year I went to Grand Prix driving school mm-hmm. uh, and then decided to go back down to Mexico in the same car, much more prepared both yeah. personally and the car. And we ended up finishing second in class by a, a, a whole lot of luck. And uh, I've that race in Mexico, that was 2000, and I've okay. done that race 10 or 11 times. Yeah. And then there's another smaller race that's only 1,200 miles, and I've done that one uh, 10 or 11 times as well. So, so mostly endurance racing. It right? is an endurance race, yes. Got you. Is that kind of the, the meat of what the races that you do are just the endurance race rather than the— No, that was just no? how I started. Okay. Uh, and we do, I do one or two of those a year. Mm-hmm. Next month, I go off to Chihuahua to do that race. Yeah. Uh, most of the races we do now are on-road courses. Okay. Uh, every now and then we'll do a race like the Long Beach Grand Prix where, actu- where we're actually on the street yeah, uh, as yeah, a support yeah. race for the Indy cars. Um, I, I, m- most people have one or two race cars. I think I've got 15 or 16 at this point, and mm-hmm. my wife and I have had a discussion. That's probably too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, you know, th- this, you know, arbitrary line in the sand I've got I have a half dozen cars on the west coast so we will mm-hmm. have to tow them out there but I'm going to keep my goal right now if I can get there is yeah. three race cars in Oklahoma three race cars in Phoenix and three race cars in in California yeah and, uh, and I last year I probably ran uh, 12 race weekends a year which was a okay. lot I'm normally driving two to four cars at mm-hmm. each event yeah that's I mean and a lot of people probably don't realize that, you know, sometimes it's not the drive, it's the car that gets you in the race or the event, oh, right? They can you know? care less about me. Right, yeah. So <laughs> the good thing is, you you know, if your wife's interested, you say, hey, we've been invited, you know, to this, or the car has been invited to this race. Do you want to go spend the weekend? And then it becomes a bigger issue. You know, it's not yes. just you going away with the lads. No, they, say, no, you know. they, they want the Ferrari that's one of eight, or they want the Bizzarini right. that's the only one in the U.S. being raced right now. Right. They, they could care less, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I could be that stuffed gorilla over in the corner in the car. <laughs> they could care less. They just want to have the car on the track. Yeah. Have you been kind of taking cars over to Europe and done the European? I mean, kind of the ones I'm thinking of is like Spa 24 Hours or any of the historic, um, you know, or Goodwood. Um, Goodwood would be amazing. Uh, Silver, um, Silverton. The, the, what I'm thinking of is like classic Monaco race. Um, you know, like, like, like the classic races are great, isn't they? And they're everywhere. Yes. You know? Uh, I have, I have two or three cars that qualify for that. Okay. Uh, I have not done the Mila Miglia, which mm-hmm. the Ferrari back there in the corner qualifies for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last year, or 2019, before COVID, we did an ice race that uh, okay. uh, Ferdinand Porsche's grandson uh, sponsored in Austria. Yeah. And that was unbelievably fun. A uh, buddy that I raced with in Mexico mm-hmm. invited me over. And, yeah. Uh, we, you know... We drove uh, a circuit on ice with studded tires. Uh, there was another class that actually pulled skiers behind the cars, which I thought was totally nuts. Yeah. Although we, in practice, I did pull a skier to see what it was like. Uh, and out of 45 cars, we ended up qualifying 17th. And yeah. I thought that was pretty good since I had never sat in the car until that morning. And uh, then my buddy went out in his car, thank goodness, and ran it right into a side of an ice wall. And we were done for the weekend, but had a great time right. uh, drinking schnapps and hanging out <laughs> in Austria. On ice. Yeah. On ice. <laughs> is, that, uh, um, I, is that GP ice race? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay, because yes, I saw they did. I saw something recently on social media that I guess it was like maybe last month they must have done something. and it, it was they, they, they did it again, Because yes. I think the thing I saw was they had like... It was either it was Max out. Max Verstappen was out there in his Red Bull car. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. nice. And I, there, I think, and multiple other cars. They had a GT4 RS, obviously out there for Porsche and all the other. You know, yeah, it, an amazing event. Yeah, and we ended up. If you can imagine, fifteen to twenty thousand fans at night, rock and roll music oh, blaring, zipping around this ice course. Uh, yeah. It, Two cars at a time. It's so much fun. It, it, just, it was just, yeah, that, it, it's a blast. Those are the those are the days you're like, this is why I love cars, right? <laughs> yes. This is why I want to do what I do. I want I want to come back here. Um, but you mentioned, I mean, Goodwood. I, ha- I haven't been to Goodwood. Uh, I, I mean, lived in the UK, obviously, for 21 years and still never went to it. But a friend of mine is kind of the same as me, loves cars. He's in the car industry back home and he gets to go. But he enjoys going to the Revival instead of Goodwood, you know, the week. So after, I believe, they have the classic revival where everybody right. dresses up in period clothing. And, you know, I, th- I think that's more your scene, right? It is much more my yeah. scene. Uh, we've got a couple of cars that uh, have actually run there mm-hmm. and have qualified. Uh, I have not had the opportunity to, g- to get them back over there to, to, to do that yeah, yet. Yeah, but yeah, That would be awesome. We've got a couple of Chevrons and a, a Sunbeam Monster Tiger that ran good one in, in 08. And... Uh, but that, that that's a goal. I'm, there yeah. are, I, I'm trying to negotiate with my wife if the nine that I keep would just be in the U.S. and I send two <laughs> over to, <laughs> to the U.K. Right. Yeah. or Europe to, to race over there. Have you thought about doing kind of any of the, like, um, I mean, they do the Peking to Paris, right? Like yes. in a classic, you know, Safari Porsche or whatever it is. Like, have you ever thought anything about doing stuff like that? We have. We actually have a car have, that okay. qualifies back there for it. Yeah. Um, my buddy uh, Hayden Grondike and mm-hmm. I... Uh, before COVID and before he yeah. got married, we had a plan that I was going to pay for the uh, Peking Paris, and, yeah. and we applied, and he was going to provide the car, which I think I got the better end of the deal because the cars are torn up at the end right. of that deal. And uh, we were going to do uh, Peking Paris, yeah. and but we, we ended up being waitlisted, and then we didn't get in. Yeah. And so he has reapplied. Uh, unfortunately, no, not unfortunately, right. very fortunately, he's gotten married since then. And so I've been booted from the, uh, <laughs> from from the, the partnership. Seat. Yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Hayden is and, and, his, and his dad, too. The yeah. Incredible cars, great car guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and Is that Enid, right? The Gr- yes, they're from uh, Enid family, they're, right? They're in Enid. Enid, yeah. uh, Grondike Transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, serious car car guys, um, and then and their team that, that yeah. takes care of their cars. Um, we hang out together, and um, yeah, we we've had great fun together. Yeah. I mean, we, we could sit here for four hours and talk about cars. Uh, we could sit here and talk about just one of the cars that you have in this garage. So for the for the for the for the the listeners in general, I think we'll we'll take a little walk and talk later and 
we can record that separately and I'll send you a link to that for people who want to check out the cars that are here right now. But coming kind of back to, to kind of circle back to kind of your involvement in Oklahoma City, you know, with with all obviously, you know, you get involved in the real estate stuff and, and you mentioned you were on a board. We you know the Mayor McConnell asked you to be on one of the boards and, and quickly enough, right, you know, your name kind of gets out there and people start wanting you to come to other boards and get involved with other stuff. And I know we tried previously, you're on the board for the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, which for this podcast is our main sponsor. They're, they're incredible to work with. And, and, you know, there's, there's just people, you've just got to go to the building because it's, it's a fabulous building. And if you getting married anytime soon, I would recommend getting married there because they do a great weddings. Um, but kind of what, what drew you, I guess, to wanting to be involved with the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and, and just kind of your impact while you were on the board there? Well, I, to me, if, to being, if you're selected to be a member of the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, that is the highest honor that, uh, that you, in my opinion, that you can reach in the state of Oklahoma. It's, uh, the best and the bright, brightest of us that uh, have created a legacy for mm-hmm. the state of Oklahoma. And I, I just love so much everything that they do over there. If, and if you back up a little bit, when the building first came on the market, mm-hmm. um, Bill Cameron, who's a buddy of mine, um, had acquired the building. And I called Bill and said, Bill, I'd really like to buy that building for our headquarters. Yeah. He said, Chip, uh, there are bigger forces in play than me and you on this deal. And I said, hey, go on. Who could that possibly be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, Mr. Gaylord and Mr. Pickens have decided to buy it, and that's where the Oklahoma Hall of Fame is going. Yeah. I said, well, there is no way I can compete with either of those two guys, and I certainly understand that I think this is grand. Right. But that, instead of the heart building, was my vision to be yeah. the uh, headquarters of our company. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Would have been a great headquarters. It would have been I mean, a, it's a great, great headquarters, but I, uh, unbelievably proud yeah. of uh, what they put together and how it's put together and, and the events there. And, uh, you know, just everybody that is, is associated with it, mm-hmm. first class and uh, how they bring uh, board members in, uh, how they're you're kept up to breast on everything that's doing that they're doing uh great programs for kids uh great programs for young adults great programs for for old folks uh Mm -hmm. like me and it 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 just it's just an amazing organization i can't say enough about it yeah i'm on the um second century board this year Uh, i got onto it this year um excited to you know just exactly what you said just kind of you know the kids programs and 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 the events that we're going to have and the outreach events that we're going to have and and you know we, we're bringing hall of famers back in to do speaking engagements and stuff it's it's fascinating to listen to people's stories and and a lot of people don't know you know they they i, I encourage people to just look at who is in the hall of fame and then to deep dive into that person and figure out why they are in there because the amount of incredible human beings we have in this state I mean, that's just a short list, right? I mean, there's plenty others, but those are the people who've been selected and there's going to be many more to come over the years. But it's uh, they're a great sponsor and I, I've been, it's been a pleasure to be involved with them. And being on, you know, being on the board side, I get to see exactly what you did, right? The side that, you know, the, the decisions that are made, the impacts that, that you know, you're having. And it's... Um, you know, even, even just like you said, the kids who are just running through, you know, their free school programs they get on a day out. It's uh, it's an honor to be a part of it, and hopefully it continues for a very long time. And you mentioned taking a deep deep dive at looking at some of uh, mm-hmm. the historic figures that have, have made this state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we are unbelievably lucky, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. The combination of our Indian heritage uh, along with the, the land-run heritage that we mm-hmm. have and I, I have a theory about Oklahoma with yeah. zero basis, in fact, but this is a theory and I've, I've got to share it. But to come to this country initially, you had to be a risk taker. You had to jump on a boat mm-hmm. and sail from Europe uh, or, or the Caribbean or somewhere to get to this country. You know, fast forward another 150 years later, mm-hmm. a country made of risk takers uh, peels off and comes to Oklahoma to make a land run. Um, and so from my perspective, you have the risk takers of the risk takers genetically, and 
you get that along with the great heritage that we have uh, from the Indians that were moved here, all the dramatically different types of tribes that were moved here. Mm-hmm. I think we have an entrepreneurial spirit, an artistic spirit, uh, a music spirit mm-hmm. of a this melting pot that yeah. from a per capita standpoint, I think we have a stronger per capita entrepreneur, uh, artist, uh, both uh, oil and, and, and paper medium to musical artists, to actors and actresses. If you look at, uh, I, I, I hold up uh, the Flaming Lips as, as being, you know, you know, we had worldwide success. You know, uh, Wayne still lives here and yeah. the boys still live here in Oklahoma. You've got Blake Shelton, uh, who has won uh, more voice uh, programs than anybody else. Uh, a number of companies that are headquartered mm-hmm. here nationally, there's no reason for us to be able to have done that. Our little company, yeah. we compete coast to coast uh, because the the rule of law is strong, the Chamber of Commerce and the, the public-private uh, combination is r- really conducive to allowing that to happen. And, uh, you know, I, we talked earlier about you know, we're not such a, the greatest kept secret anymore. I think we were for a long time, and yeah. uh, that. So that that's my my silly theory about uh, why we've had the success here that we've had, both yeah. locally and nationally. Yeah, and it's that little chip on your shoulder, isn't it? It's just like no, well, no pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, and that was that was not intended. Uh, hilarious. <laughs> that was not intended. Uh, you know, it, it is though. It, it's just that like. Well, you know, we're not going to leave. We're going to do it here. We're going to show you how we can do it. I'm going to show you why we can do it here and, and the, the things that we can do. And, you know, you mentioned people who are headquartered here. There's many. I mean, the one that comes to mind straight away is Paycom, obviously, with the recent acquisition taking the name of the, of the stadium and the things that they continue to do. I mean, it's incredible what they've done and continue to do. And, you know, they, they could have gone anywhere, but they've yeah. decided to build out and they keep adding on to their headquarters of the turnpike. Every time I drive by, I'm like, that's a new part of it. Oh, the, you know? the, the Love family has done mm-hmm. incredibly well. Uh, Sonic mm-hmm. uh, Industries have done incredibly yeah. well. Oil and gas uh, technology, mm-hmm. you know, we're a mecca for that. Yeah. Uh, just a, a number of really great, yeah. you know, national and international entrepreneurial entrepreneurial companies mm-hmm. from uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. Finishing up, what, what, what's kind of com- what's kind of coming to, you know, uh, stuff that you're working on right now? Uh, I did see that you guys have got the old Gabriella's building, we right? Have. We have. Exciting news there. Um, you know, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but what is the plan on that or stuff that you're working on at the moment that you're really excited about? Well, we live in north, northeast Oklahoma City at Lake Aluma. Uh-huh. Uh, I am very, very bullish on real estate in yeah. northeast Oklahoma City. Uh, Gabriella's mm-hmm. uh, sort of made a big splash. Uh, I've been trying to buy that place, for buy the real estate for four or five years. Yeah. Gabriella's, the restaurant, has had a really successful run there. Amazing place. Amazing place. So and and it, it's, it yeah. is Cribs-style Italian food that, yeah. you know, that we you could only get if you drove to Cribs and yeah. went to Pete's Place or Isle of Capri. And, and so it, they've had a very mm-hmm. successful run there. Uh, the building probably wouldn't have been up for sale if they hadn't decided had decided to move, and they're yeah. moving to Edmond to a new location. And I've got four or five restaurants at this point, and we're trying to figure out if we put one of our concepts in there, or whether we um, yeah. come up with a new concept, and or whether we rent it to somebody else. Yeah. And there's two really nice uh, historic pieces of historic property, uh, one small bungalow, and then the Gabriella space itself, and um, Honestly, I'm not sure what we're going to do with it, but yeah. we're, we're going to figure it out. Uh, another thing that has really not hit the paper yet um, is we closed last Monday on an 8,000 square mm-hmm. foot 1935 mansion. Um, when we finish with it, it'll have seven or eight bedrooms on Amazing. seven acres uh, with a pool and a, and a pond and a beautiful stable and silo. And we think... Um, if I can't get my wife to move there, I, we think it will make a, a, a very nice high-end Airbnb, yeah. perhaps a bed and breakfast someday, or perhaps even a, a small hotel mm-hmm. uh, event center. And, and so we're, we are so excited about that project as well. Yeah. Uh, it's the old, it's called El Sueño mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Our friend, lifelong friend, Bill Gummerson, um, 
remodeled the place yeah. about 20, 22 years ago and just did a fabulous job. And he has such an eye. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, my ADD's kicking in, so I, I, uh, missing people like Bill Gummerson and Mike McAuliffe and, oh, um, and so many others that we lost during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Ruffin uh, was, would be another that have had such a huge impact on this community and, mm-hmm. and you know, both personally and for our community, big losses. Um, um, you know, I, I just felt like I had to yeah. uh, pay homage to, to, the, to those guys because, you know, they all were part mm-hmm. of helping me be who I Mr. am. Mr. Holloway, too. Who? Mr. Holloway. Yeah, Pete, Holloway Pete Holloway, another. Uh, and yeah. I, I know there's others I, mm-hmm. I've probably missed. Um, I, I grew. We, the others, are not, the other three, were really close mm-hmm. uh, to our family, and um, but I, I think Oklahoma City's northeast part of town is an untapped, uh, beautiful, beautiful rolling hills area, and um, you know, sort of like how we thought Film Row was when we first came down here. Yeah, uh, we think that um, there's enough starting to be enough synergy that we think we can make a go of yeah. of a few things in northeast oklahoma city and Great. so that's where we're buying real estate yeah today. so if you live in that area and you want to sell <laughs> please come on down <laughs> yeah. uh last question wade mutual friend of ours wade Tao, wanted me to ask you about the um young president's organization he said ask him about that he's got great stories and he's very passionate about it so <laughs> i i am very passionate about ypo i uh, Mike Samus and, and Bill Cameron uh, asked me to join, I guess, in 1994, 1995. Um, I, I, I thought they must have been kidding at the time because mm-hmm. I, I, I called it the PF Flyer Club. They run faster and jump higher. <laughs> Uh, it's sort of like the Groucho Marx thing. I'm not sure I want to be a member of any club that would want me as a member. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, and, and uh, we got involved, and you know, one thing led to another, and we ended up um, being greatly involved uh, in YPO and now YPO Gold. It's given us the opportunity to effectively build our business. I, I said earlier that... Um, you know, I've got a political science degree with a minor in philosophy. I'm qualified to do nothing, but through YPO, I was able to uh, do a continuing mm-hmm. education program for a year at Northwestern University. Uh, I've spent two or three weeks at Harvard uh, doing their stuff, the London School of Business, um, and and doing those programs through YPO um, really. It gave us the skill set to, to scale like we have been. Mm-hmm. Um, when people ask me, tell me something good about YPO, I say, well, it built my business, it saved my marriage, and it raised my children. <laughs> so I can't, I, I, I can't give any more right. higher accolades than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I probably could have made a billion dollars if I chose to ignore my wife and children and uh, focus totally on business. And the great thing about YPO is that it gives you a really good work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And some of the opportunities that we've had, um, got to land on an aircraft carrier, uh, only in YPO. I was on Madonna's estate in England, yeah. skeet shooting, and I'm a very poor skeet shooter. Found out my wife is a very good one, so <laughs> I shouldn't piss her off. <laughs> and and all, the, all the while, there's helicopters flying over trying to take pictures of us like we might be somebody. Oh, we might be somebody. <laughs> Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, little opportunities like that. I, I was on a racetrack in uh, at the Bahrain Formula One circuit with uh, Jackie Stewart all through exactly. all through YPO. And amazing. Just, it, it, it is just amazing. I, I was a yeah. poor boy from Oklahoma that started throwing newspapers and drops out of high school and ended up, you yeah. know, at Madonna's estate, you know, shooting skeet or trying to. Trying to. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of YPO. Yeah. I'm very proud that my son uh, is a member. Uh, our uh, CEO, Richard Cook, is, is also a member yeah. now, and I'm very proud of it. Awesome. Well, 
Chip, thanks so much for spending an hour telling some stories. I know there's a million more we could tell. Um, and maybe we'll get to do this another day when the car collections maybe change a little bit or maybe even bigger. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see what your wife says. Uh, but thanks so much for, for spending some time to, you know, telling some stories and, and appreciate what you do for the city and continue to do for the, what, you know, continue to, God, I can't speak right now. Appreciate you and, and appreciate what you continue to do for the city. Um, because it's a better place because of people like yourself and, and the other other guys that you mentioned that have come before and, and the mentors that you've had and, and you know it's like you said you could have been you could have been you know ignored your wife and kids and made a billion dollars and probably been miserable and be somewhere else right but you're yeah. this is your home it's clear that this is your home and um you know it, it's it's great to see and and you know we're not done yet right you're still going still not busy done yet. you know the mind's still moving you still got projects going excited to see what gabrielle's is going to be um and other projects that come in the yeah. future so i tell people i'm going to be rich if i don't go broke first exactly <laughs> but people listening uh that you know i'll put all the links in the description to uh to chips businesses and we will catch you next episode cheers Thank you, Mike. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.